welcome, you cheeky little chipmunks, you creamy butterscotch beauties, to episode 10 of Cop On. I feel all squiggly. I feel all squiggly wiggly because Liverpool are top of the Premier League, or joint top on 20 points. And if I told you that Liverpool are joint top of the Premier League with 20 points from a possible 24, we're level on points with Manchester City and Chelsea and two ahead of Arsenal and Tottenham and Manchester United are. Shit. You may think, well, tell me something I don't know, nincompoop. So, I'm going to try. Here's something you might not know. This is our glorious manager's favourite song, apparently. That song um, is by Stefan Dennis, who used to be on an Australian soap opera called Neighbours, for those of you old enough to remember. Um, and the song is called Don't It Make You Feel Good. Well, no, it doesn't. It makes me feel sick, makes me feel anxious and uh, pretty angry, really. Uh, but uh, I'm sure it makes Jürgen feel good. So that's all that really matters, isn't it? So today we're going to pay homage to Jurgen Klopp. He's spent three years in charge of Liverpool already. They've flown by because time flies when you're having fun and it's been a roller coaster ride of a barrel of laughs. Brilliant work, Jurgen. We're going to pay homage to him. We're going to look at our season in general, our next five matches compared to our rivals. We're going to look back at Jurgen Klopp's greatest moments and talk about the, the, the progression of the team. It's going to be a lovely episode and we're going to start with a look back at Manchester City. Enjoy. So I'm delighted to be joined by Darren Wilde and Joe Casanelli. Thank you very much, guys, for joining me. Um, Man City, then, that was their first point at Anfield since 2012, and they haven't won since God knows when. Um, They could and should have had three points when Virgil van Dijk produced the first brain fart of his career, for which he has since apologised. Maris stepped up, took the penalty and, and as you know that ball is still rising and has just passed the ring of icy particles at the edge of the solar system known as the Outer Oort Cloud. Double O-R-T. Google it if you're interested. It's, it's very fascinating I think. Anyway, Riyad Maris only has a 58% penalty success rate having scored only 7 out of 12, and Guardiola said in his post-match press conference that he didn't even know that. <laughs> Amateur. Uh, so, Joe, Darren, what's the wider context of this one point? Uh, well, I'd, I'd have taken that before the uh, before the start of the game. I think, um, I think uh, you know, in terms of the wider context, you know, where we are, 20 points, you know, eight games in, you know, our... Uh, our best point tally uh, in you know in in recent memory and um, and you know we've um, 
we've played City, you know, in in in, in that. So I think, uh, you know, as a as progress, uh, I think uh, although clearly three points would have been good, but um, you know we got uh, hammered by them the first time we played them last season. So a draw, and uh, we are joint top of the league. Uh, I, I can't um, I can't ask for more really. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I mean it's hard to disagree there. I think um, Darren just said that really. I mean, I think you'd probably be lying if before kick-off you wouldn't have taken a point. I think we'd have all been happy for a point, especially as we sort of limped into the international break after a, a tough schedule of fixtures. And to be level with City and Chelsea, you know, given the run of fixtures that we've had, we've played Chelsea and Spurs are where we've played City at home. To be on 20 points and undefeated, join top of the league, you'd have signed up for that at the very start of the season. And then hopefully now with a bit of let-up in the fixture schedule will be ready to uh, press on. Yes, the fixture list does look a little bit kinder after the international break for us, which is lovely news. But let's stick with the City match. Uh, some stats for you. Possession, we had 49% of it, and uh, City had 51% of it. Um, we had seven shots with only two on target, and they had six shots with only two on target. Um, we had two corners, they had six. We committed ten fouls, and so did they. And for the XG heads amongst you, they were, uh, our XG was 0 0.42, and City's was 1.07, including the penalty, which is utterly incredible. So let's start with the positives, OK? Let's talk about our defence, Joe. I mean, we're looking meaner than than James Brown in a dark alley at night. Yeah, it is quite strange to be in a situation where you're actually getting frustrated with the with the front-end players as opposed to the defence because we've been used to seeing the likes of Martin Skirtle, Mamadou Sacco, even Dejan Lovren, who I know came in for this game and, and did well, but over the years he's had a, a rick or two in him. and It's just amazing to see the transformation in how solid we look defensively. I mean, bar the... There was one shot that Mares sort of fizzed across the uh, face of goal from the angle where he just sort of got the better of Andy Robertson, but in the grand scheme of things, they didn't really create that much, you know, as the statistics say, two shots on target each. We had seven shots to their six, and I don't think either goalkeeper was genuinely troubled by by their attack. So our defence, it's just light and day, isn't it, between last year and this year. When you look at, we would have had, you know, Simon Mignolet, Lovren, either Clavan or Matip starting as the, the sort of triangle that has now become Van Dijk and Gomez along with Alison Becker. It's just two different worlds and can't speak highly enough of them. We've only conceded three goals in the league this season. They're a big reason behind it and you don't win the league by conceding 50 goals a season as we found out to our detriment a few years ago. Yes, the improvement is startling, isn't it? Um, Darren, what do you think of our defence? Yeah, I mean it's it's solid. I mean, I remember talking to you about it um, after the first game of the season, and and you know saying how confident you know uh, we we were you know in in the, you know the whole uh, you know uh, the whole defensive makeup you know in, including the keeper, and um, you know from from my perspective you know our ability to keep a clean sheet at home 
You know, I mean, this, you know, despite uh, you know, despite playing City, you know, and, and the pundits beforehand, you know, saying how you know it was never going to finish goalless, but you know, we, um, you know, we, we we got through another home game without without conceding, and um, you know, and I, and I think that um, you know that. Uh, you know, speaks volumes. You know, it's uh, it's interesting to see you know how solid we are, and um, you know, and if we can get that, um, if we can get that attacking uh, three firing on all cylinders, you know, then you know we can we can push on, can't we? Oh yes, and that that brings me on nicely to my next question because I would like to move on to the attack. Um, okay, we've scored 15 Premier League goals in eight matches, but uh, some interesting stats from Laura Woods on the debate on Sky Sports last night um, were that Salah only has one goal in eight matches in all competitions, uh, Mane has zero in seven, and Bobby has zero in five. Um, Darren, have we got anything to worry about? Well, I'm, well, it's puzzling, but some, I mean, I think that um, that you know, we we you know I noticed against West Ham when we spoke last time. We, I kind of said then we we seem to have changed our style a bit, you know, in terms of a bit more of a patient build up, and and also you know, you know I don't feel as if we're kind of pressing nowhere near as hard as, and and as quickly as we were last season, and and that and that seems to. You know, be uh, you know, there's some there's a lack of momentum there going forward, and I just don't think it's suiting those uh, you know those front three. I think that Mane also is um, frustrating me somewhat with his decision making. You know, he seems to be hanging on to the ball too long. His distribution isn't quite as good. You know, and, and getting caught in position uh, possession for far more often than 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 he than he should, and um, and somehow that that. You know that little triangle. You know those three. You know are just not not gelling in the same way. And I don't know whether it's because we've slightly changed our style, or, or to me it looks like we've changed our style slightly, and, we, and we're not pressing as hard. Although you know, getting, you know, we, we are in, in that transitional phase. You know, we are able to win that ball, but you know, when when you know, uh, win possession. But um, you know, when the opposition's got the ball, we just don't seem to be closing down as quickly. So you know, I don't know. There's something there that I think you know, if we can if we can get that right and get that um, uh, and get that back to where we were last season, I, I think we'll start you know popping the goals in. Oh yes, that's a good point. Yes, because uh, we do seem to be pressing less often and 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 sort of almost less intensively this this season. So maybe a lot of our goals last season came from our pressing. So yeah, hmm, food for thought. Joe, what do you think? Is there cause for concern regarding our attack? I don't think so, just because of the quality of the players that we have in attack. I mean, it's unfortunate that all three of them seem to be going through a bit of a tough style, but I think as Darren Turson know, we are playing a, a slightly different style of football, a bit more possession-based, a bit sort of less helter-skelter because I think we're just a better team now and we don't have to play on the counter-attack that much. So I certainly think that um, there's obviously improvement to be made, but I think that there's nothing to worry about. I mean, if this goes on, you know, another again to the, to the November international break when we've got the likes of Cardiff and Huddersfield coming up, then maybe you have to say, hmm, something might be wrong because if it's one thing not scoring against the you know for those front three to not get a sniff against the likes of Chelsea, City, or Napoli, who are three really good top European sides. But 
you've got to think that they're going to be looking to those Cardiff and Huddersfield games coming up and thinking that they can they can fill their boots and you certainly hope that they've got to do that. Uh, I think that we are we're missing something from midfield though because obviously 12 months ago we did have Coutinho and then obviously in the second half of the season Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain came through and we are just missing that little bit of a creative spark from midfield I think with Jeannie, Milner and um, Jordan Henderson are three very game lads if you like and they're three very honest pros who give their all but I'm not sure that that midfield against lower block opposition is going to is going to help us as we've seen in the past, and maybe, you know, hopefully now Naby Keita can can help sort of fill the void against these uh, these teams who are going to show less attacking intent against them. Yes, you'd hope they'd step up, wouldn't you? Yeah, the midfield Keita. Um, I I'm confident he's going to find his mojo and uh, start rocking our world. Um, I'm sure he will. He's such a talent. Um, so. In terms of the game, in terms of one point, um, we did sit back quite a lot. Um, Joe, do you have any lingering regrets in hindsight that we didn't go for the proverbial jugular quite enough? Uh, it's a tough one. I don't. I have any regrets. I think that you know. I think that the players did their exactly their physical best. I don't think that they. They went into the game and didn't try or didn't do their best. I just think that if we'd have attacked a bit more, given the form we've been in, given the tired legs we've got, we may have left ourselves open to the counter. Granted, City didn't play their usual attacking football against us, and on another day it might have been an opportunity missed. But I don't think we can. I don't think, given the given the way, as I said before, that we just sort of limped into this international break with having had a pretty rough. 10 days of playing Chelsea twice, Napoli away, and then Manchester City at home. I don't think that we can have any regrets from it. It's not as if Manchester City played poorly. They played very well. And the fact that they came and showed us so much respect to Anfield you know, speaks volumes of how we're considered, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yes, me too. I would agree with that. And... Uh... I mean, it's 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 a marvelous thing to be to be feared, uh, not just across England but across Europe as well. Uh, okay, let's let's just uh, finally from the city match. I mean, we can't dwell too long on it because we've got lots to get through, and it was a nil nil. Uh, Darren, who was your man of the match? Mm, tough one, really. I thought um, it's a toss up for me between Robertson or or or. Van Dijk, I thought, um, you know, either of those two, you know, I thought were uh, pretty solid. I mean, I know that that uh, Van Dijk gave a, a penalty away, but uh, I can forgive him the odd mistake. But I thought he was pretty solid again, won everything in the air, you know, so I think he probably just edged it, you know, regardless of his uh, mistake at the end. You know, I thought he was uh, he was the difference in our, in our defence. I thought Robertson play, played uh, very well. I thought he... Um, Again, he, he was, you know, active down down the wing, but uh, probably Van Dijk for me. OK. And what about you, Joe? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the Van Dijk assertion. Uh, you know, he's just brilliant, isn't he? I think um, I think Joe Gomez endured a pretty tough first half, but he was really good in the second half. 
as well. Um, but I'd give it to Van Dijk in a toss-up just because obviously Gomez playing at right back. We used to seeing Trent Alexander-Arnold bomb forward, and Gomez doesn't quite have that that final ball. So I think we lacked a little bit in that department. So yeah, Virgil Van Dijk, brain fart side. Okay, well, you two are much more forgiving than I am for voting for Virgil. I'm going to go with Dayan Degzi-Lovren, not only for that fantastic tackle that he made on Gabriel Jesus, but his general play was very good, his stats are very good, and the context of coming into the team uh, for, you know, what, a second, third uh, performance of the season, and doing so well, well done, Degzi. Okay. Okay, so, in the next part of this episode, we are going to light a candle and place it on an auditory altar that we have erected, if you'll pardon the expression, in homage to our gaffer, Jürgen Norbert Klopp. Kloppo beamed into our lives just over three years ago on the 8th of October 2015 with a smile as wide as the River Mersey and a taste in music as questionable as a decision by Kevin Friend. If you will allow me to to just jabber on a bit here, dear listener, despite my worsening cold, that would be very nice of you, I would like to remind you of Brendan Rodgers' last Liverpool team. Liverpool played the Ev on October the 4th, 2015, and secured a 1-1 draw with the following lineup: The back five was Mignolet, uh, Klein, Skirtle, Sacco and Moreno. Uh, the midfield was Chan, Milner, Lever and Coutinho at the tip of a diamond, uh, playing behind Sturridge and Ings. Uh, now, if you contrast that to our last lineup, Kloppo fielded the back five of Alison Becker, Gomez, Virgil, Degsy, and Robbo. Mm. Uh, a midfield was Jeannie Vineldum, James Milner, but perhaps a different James Milner to the one that Brendan Rodgers uh, left us with, and Jordan Henderson. And up front, we had Sadio Mane. Bobby Firmino, and Mo Salah. Mm. The biggest difference for me, though, is in the substitutes. I find this very a very interesting comparison. Brendan Rodgers put these seven players on the list. Uh, Bogdan, Gomez, Lalana, Allen, Origi, Ibe, and Rossiter. Whereas Jürgen, uh, on Sunday, was able to put on the bench uh, Mignolet, Matip, Shakiri, Cater, Trent, Sturridge and Fabinho. Uh, and they're pretty much all internationals, uh, apart from Matip, who uh, has retired from international duty. So that I find that incredible. Uh, the turnaround in terms of squad depth and how well he's built his squad. Mmm, yummy. Okay, back to you, Joe. Talking about this transformation and how Jurgen has managed to entice some absolutely amazing talent to our wonderful club. Who would you rate as his best signing? Um, I'm going to be, well, not necessarily controversial, but I actually think I would say Sadio Mane, just because. He came in as in Klopp's first summer, and 
completely transformed the way we attacked. You know, we had that team that you've just read out from Brendan Rodgers' last game, you know, devoid, devoid of any sort of genuine pace, wasn't it? You know, there's a Daniel Sturridge in the middle of his injury problems, Danny Ings, again, in the middle of a couple of knee ligament injuries. Coutinho is never never lightning fast, a very static midfield. So I think that Sadio Mane has actually probably, for me, been the most crucial signing Klopp's made because it's enabled him to sort of lay the foundations of a of this this you know red arrows front lightning quick front three and I think that Mane when he came in that first season just showed showed what a player he is when he was the main man and then as a supporting at last season. Well, that's an excellent answer and I do have a lot of love for Sadio, uh, but I'm going to disagree with you. Uh, I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, first, Darren, who is your choice for for Jurgen's best transfer? Uh, yeah, I mean, Joe makes a very good point uh, with Mane. I think um, you know, but uh, you know, with uh, from my perspective, I, I think the, the the crucial signing is is, um, is Virgil Van Dijk. I think we we could we could bomb on as much as we wanted, uh, you know, with 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 the attack and and that and that press, but um, without the stability that Virgil Van Dijk's created in the back, you know, or, or seems to have created, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's entirely all down to him, you know. And, and our ability to uh, to to not lose or draw games that uh, we we would have done without him, I think um, you know gives us that that assurance and our, and our ability to to um, you know to, to kick on again. I, I think I mean even you know even if we hadn't signed Allison, I think we 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 would have you know been nowhere near as as uh, as, as loose at the back uh, without van dyke so for, so for me i think you know that that, that is the, the the most crucial signing the fact that he was patient you know hung on you know i know we, we made we, we we made a bit of a mess of the uh, approach um with southampton and and it nearly didn't happen but you know the fact that he stuck to his guns and 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 and, and eventually got his man i think that for me is the, the crucial signing Oh, well, Virgil, yes. I mean, there, lots of people would agree with you. Um, Virgil is, is sort of my second choice. There's, there's lots of data and stats to back you up. His, his transformative effect on our team, of course. Uh, but I would go for Mo Salah because I've never known a winger to get 44 goals uh, and be so underrated at the same time. Even this season, you say, OK, one goal in eight. But he's still, his, his link-up player, his constant threat is still there. And although he's, you know, he's scuffed a few shots, uh, I don't think there's anything to worry about whatsoever. And I'm sure that Mo Salah will come back. And what a signing to get 44 goals when, you know, he's probably expected to get around 15. Mmm, well done, Mo. Okay, sticking with transfers, uh, but lighting uh, a joystick and placing it on this altar of homage to Jurgen Klopp. I want to light the joystick of net spend. You know, typical Liverpool fans harping on about it. The reason why we harp on about it is because it's pretty spectacular that Jurgen Klopp's net spend since taking over in 2015, three years ago, is 113 
million. Uh, in contrast, Pep Guardiola, his net spend is £364.7 million. Pounds, and that's only since 2016. And Mourinho, who was also since 2016, has spent a gargantuan, an incomprehensible £432.1 million on his rubbish team. Mm. What would you give Jurgen Klopp out of 10, Joe. I would give him a 9 out of 10 for his transfer activity in his three years. What would you give him? Um, yeah, maybe a, a solid 8, I would say, rather than a rather than a 9 like yourself, just because I think that uh, I think that everyone could kind of see that Carrius and Minileg weren't good enough uh, from the off. So I think that maybe you can put a little black mark against the, the Carrius transfer. He, you know, he was a, a four million pound goalkeeper gamble, and it was probably a gamble worth taking at the time. But as we saw to our detriment back in the Champions League final, uh, he was wasn't of the required standard, and and I think that it just took maybe the club have taken a little bit too long to to address the goalkeeper situation because I think that after sort of well, how long has Minionet been in the club now? Six years? I think we're all, you know, I think we'd all happily never see him sit, be underneath the sticks at Anfield ever again in a Liverpool shirt. So, I would maybe Wait, say... Yes. yes, but sorry to sorry to interrupt because I... I, I there's, there's, but this is a double-edged sword. This is a, there's a, there were two sides to this because, yes, he, he gives... He's way more patient than we would be with players who give, uh, you know, who make mistakes. I mean, but, you know, he puts them in again and again. Alberto Moreno is another example. He's still at the club despite all of the mistakes he's made. But the, the benefit of that is, is wide ranging because you have a better team spirit in the squad because... Players are thinking, right? The manager's going to support me, even if I make a mistake. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, pressure. it's not. It's not necessarily about them. I mean, as you say, Klopp has defended the likes of Lovren and Mignolet and Carrius and those people, and he's been very honest. It's. It's not. I'm not there's no criticism of his defence of them, and certainly, you know, I'd much rather have a manager who would defend his players to the hilt rather than throw them under a bus at every opportunity as certain other managers happily do in this league. It's not, it's not, I'm not being critical of that. I just think that there were maybe a couple of problems that could have been addressed a little quicker. Yeah. And I also think that, um, and I think that we will this season see the benefits of Fabinho and Naby Keita. However, the fact that we were, were still playing that midfield three who we, did complain about last season's not being creative enough. Uh, you know, obviously, you've got to caveat that with Oxlade Chamberlain's injury absence. But the fact that we let Emre Chan go on a free transfer, you know, big clubs shouldn't let players get to the situation where they hold all the cards and can just walk away on a free. So I would say that's a, little, mm. a slight negative against. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, Jurgen Klopp is not the man who sits down and does all these transfer negotiations. He's not in charge of them. 
So, I mean, it's the, it's the whole recruitment team, and I think that they've made a mistake on, on that. That is probably their biggest error, to be honest, out of everything, out of, out of everything that you can fault them for. The fact that they let a player play them off against you know, other clubs in Europe, get to a stage where they could leave on a free transfer and then go and join a team who, you know, it's not as if he's left and gone and joined Aston Villa in the championship. You know, he's gone and joined Juventus, who are a team who are going to romp the Italian league and have aspirations to win the Champions League, which clearly shows a level of player that he is that we've lost as well. I think also, I mean, you know, uh, the you know, I, I'm torn really in terms of you know, okay, net spends low, you know, and I guess you know if, you, if you're looking for a, some kind of you know uh, performance, you know, versus spend, you know, maybe maybe he is he's up there, but. Um, uh, you know, would I take a second place and some trophies? You know, uh, with a four hundred million pound spend like United, I probably would. And similarly with the uh, City, you know, take uh, a, a Premier League and some trophies, having spent you know all of that, you know, cash. Uh, so you know, the fact that we've only we ha- we've only got a net spend of one hundred twenty-four, you know. T- Tell, tells me that you know maybe we should be digging a bit deeper and spending a bit more, and and the majority of that netting off is is you know with the cash that we got for Coutinho. So you know if we hadn't have um, if we hadn't have uh, sold him for the for the money we we got, um, the net spend would be would be much would be much higher, wouldn't it? So you know I think that masks to, to some degree you know how how well he's done in the um, or how well the 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 um, the transfer committee ha- have done in terms of that uh, in terms of that I mean it, it, it uh, you know it it, it it's, it's difficult with me really in terms of being able to say well we should be spending more money you know and maybe we would get some trophies and finish higher in the league. Well, there were a couple of very interesting points there. First on free transfers, Joe. Yes, I mean, I think of the Emery Chan situation going to a club with similar Champions League ambitions to us, let's face it. Um, uh, comparing that to, to the Rabio situation currently at Paris Saint-Germain. Now, of course, there are two arguments. There's one that says that uh, Adrian Rabio should sign another contract at PSG so that they get a transfer fee for him if he wants to leave and they can they can agree that between them. And then the other side of the argument is that we just don't know what goes on in the murky umskar of transfers uh, so there might be more things that come into play and it's sort of honest of him to say right I'm just going to play out my contract thank you very much see you soon I'll take a 10 million signing on bonus for my next club and uh, I'll buy a house in Capri uh, listening to Darren's point um, it's really good I mean you know it's a really good good point it, it reminds me of that that time in 2008 2009 we had a great team but we didn't we let go of alonso and we didn't get uh, a, a, at least one player of a similar world class truly world class stature to replace him to get to the next level uh, we needed probably two world class players to replace alonso but 
um, we could be at a similar situation now where our team is basically really competitive uh, on all fronts. We have a deep squad, deep enough squad to challenge everyone. Um, But to get to the next level, maybe we need a superstar. And Mbappe, for example, that would be my dream signing. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, Anyway, Darren, sticking with you, how would you compare Jurgen Klopp's style to Brendan Rodgers' style? I enjoyed the football that uh, uh, Brendan Rodgers uh, played when um, you know the, t- the, j- the Brendan Rodgers team played when um, you know when we when we almost almost won the league, and, um, and and you know that that felt you know that felt good to watch you know it felt exciting to watch, and then obviously you know we took a bit of a dip and you know whilst I was never a big fan of Brendan Rodgers you know in terms of personality. Um, you know the football was good, but I think that you know what we've got now is a manager who, you know, who is playing again. You know, a great style of football, and you know he's a good personality. You know, he's a likable chap. You know, he isn't he isn't a Mourinho. You know, he isn't miserable. You know, he doesn't throw his players uh, under the bus. He's honest, and you know, and I think that um, you know I don't feel that we're going to get any. Um, you know any BS from him at the end of a game when we don't do so well, like we didn't. You know against Napoli, like we didn't against City. You know, I'd, uh, you know I would. Uh, you know, there's no cliche there, is there? You know, with Brendan Rodgers, I think that you know it, there was a one cliche after another after the end of every uh, poor performance, uh, and, and even after the end of you know at the end of good performances. But you know, I think what we've got now is a manager who's been able to blend. His personal, you know, style, uh, and and, uh, and and transfer that to his players, and um, you know he's got, um, you know, and he's got the team uh, playing for him. I think that um, you know what he needs to now is get the get the crowd, you know, a bit more vocal. I mean, I've been to Anfield, uh, you know, a, a few times now, when when you know, again, the crowd is is very. Uh, is very quiet, and I think that you know that's a that's a symptom of um, the Brendan, Brendan Rodgers era, where you know we were we were worried, you know, and there was a lot of stress and tension you know, <laughs> that we were going to lose a game that we were maybe in front of. And I think if we can just uh, you know now we've got that uh, defence shored up and we get that confidence, I think that um, there, won't, there won't be that tension. And I think that you know it'll all come together, and uh, you know we need to win a trophy or two and. Uh, and he'll have uh, he'll have completed the set, I think. Yeah, well, exactly as Barron's just said, he's a completely different. Uh, without wanting to sound like Brendan, character, isn't he? He's, um, he doesn't come out with the the cliches, and I think that it, we sort of all got to a we just got to a stage where we just like, come on, Brendan, just shut up, you know. When after a, after in a post match game, when he would he would roll out, you know, captain cliche roll out one after another after another and you know just sort of do your head in wouldn't he so in terms of that we've got a manager who as you say doesn't pull any punches he would never at least publicly throw a player under the bus I mean in private I'm sure all managers are very ruthless and as we've seen with the likes of Mamadou Sacco during his time at the club he has been willing to completely just say you've had your chance you blew it you're out of the team but he would he never came out in public and threw Sacco under the bus or gave briefings to the press, which you know plenty of other managers would have done. And I think he's just really in tune. 
you know, with the club, you read a lot of the interviews that he's done surrounding his third anniversary, and he talks about wanting to wanting to bring a lot of local lads into the team. You know, he does a lot of work in the community, and mm. those videos on social media that obviously, you know, they, they do hugely benefit the club in PR terms, but, you know, he's the right character to be doing those kind of videos and going and meeting the people of Liverpool and going to, you know, to food banks or to children's hospitals and, you know, helping, you know, I think it's, it's great that we've got a manager that even Man United fans really struggle to hate. And I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, I think, I think the um, involvement with the community, I think, is is a you know is a good point. I think um, you know that uh, you know I've seen you know plenty of videos you know uh, of, of him you know engaging with fans you know surprise visits uh, you know uh, I think early on I, I saw a video with it. I can't remember the name of the young young boy who 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 he who he sat and and um, and. Uh, he let him. He let him interview him, didn't he? And um, and uh, and started to, uh, you know, attempt his uh, scouse accent. And I think that just endeared him to the fans. And you know, uh, against the West Brom game, um, the uh, the much ridiculed, you know, by by other fans. I think uh, you know, a little salute. I think he he played. We were playing. It was a two-all draw against West Brom or something. Yeah. And he went over and all the players linked hands and saluted the fans and. You know, and I think uh, again, that's just you know re- reconnecting, reconnecting with the with the fan base, isn't it? You know, as a, as a team, and I think that's uh, you know that's where you know that's where he's he's added you know his, uh, his sprinkle of magic. Yeah, we were a very disillusioned fan base, I think, by the end of certainly you know after the six-one defeat to Stoke, you know when everyone sort of thought that Brendan Rodgers would get the sack, and then he kept his job over the summer and there was a lot of, you know, the transfer wranglings of, you know, like Ben Teke coming in and people like that. And you could, we were just sort of, we were just a club in a state of flux really where we were going nowhere. And I think we were all just sort of, we, we very much needed a change. We were all disillusioned. I think Jürgen, the, the main thing that you can say is helped, probably helped a lot of fans rediscover their, their love for the game. I mean, you know, obviously we had, 13-14 with Brendan Rodgers, but it feels more of a flash in the pan than it does with, you know, Klopp's steady building on success and, you know, back-to-back top four finishes and hopefully a title challenge this year. Oh, yeah. That sort of brings me into my next question, Joe. Have we got enough to go all the way this year? Can Kloppo bring us to the promised land, to Shangri-La? Oh, um... Where to start? Um, I think we do have enough, in a, especially in the year gone by. We would have had more than enough, and we'd have been runaway favourites. However, I I still don't think that we we will win the league just because of the Manchester City juggernauts uh, is there, and they've got the experience of last year. I think that maybe in twelve months' time we'll be in a much better place to launch a a proper challenge, uh, but we're in a fantastic place. Fair enough. Absolutely. What do you think, Darren? Have we got enough? Can we do it? Uh, so, yeah, I think I, I am confident he can. Um, and and I think that, you know, if we get a bit of luck, uh, I think we, we, we can. I think we can get, uh, we can get our attack uh, 
back to where they were last season and you know keep this consistency that we've got I think we all push Man City close uh, I think um, like Joe you know I think if we finish above Man City you know we'll have won the league you know and that and that you know that really is is going to be our challenge I think Man City will be uh, you know will be up there they've got the consistency they've got the strength and depth you know they, they've, they've arguably got you know uh, more depth in their team than than, than we have and uh, I think that uh, we, 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 we hopefully will push them close and um, if we win a trophy this season you know that will be progress you know I, I would I would I would quite I'd say quite happily you know I would I would I would be satisfied if we finished second to City, uh, and I think that's probably going to be the likely outcome, you know. But I think we should, we need to win a trophy. Okay, so from the vertiginous heights of discussing a title challenge, um, I would like to ask a slightly different question now. Uh, I've got this thing that if we improve by even one point season upon season then we're making progress. It's very simple, it's very binary, this opinion, but that's how I judge Liverpool's seasons. Uh, so last season we got 75 points and we finished fourth. So, by following my own logic, I would accept 76 points and a good run in the Champions League as progress. How would you feel about that, Darren? Would you accept it? Uh, well, I think it's all relative to the teams around you, isn't it? I mean, I think last season, um, United, uh, I can't remember, was it 81 points or 83 points or something in that region? And in other seasons, that would have been good enough to have won the league if uh, if City hadn't have scored you know, the amazing amount of points that they scored. And so I think it's relative to the teams around you. If we score 76 points and finish second... Maybe that's progress. Okay, all right, it's all relative, all right, okay. What do you think, Joe? Would you accept 76 points as progress? Uh, I'm going to say no, only because I think that 76 points this season may not even be enough to get you in the top four. I think that we might see a sort of record season. I mean, don't get me wrong, if 76 points was enough for us to come second, then you know you, you would say it was progress because it would be a higher finish than last year but I think that this year you're going to need upwards of 80 points to for third you know if you're looking for third third and second and third I think you're going to be looking at 82 point minimum because I think that there's there's a good few teams who who will fancy their chances of getting above 75 points you know Arsenal have won nine games in a row Tottenham Hotspur sort of on the sly haven't actually done that badly at the start of the season despite the fact that we made them look very ordinary they're right up there you know and Man United surely can't carry on in the downwards you know on the nosedive that they're on so you've got to think they're going to be coming back and Chelsea who've been a surprise package as well so I think that there's a progress would be finishing higher than fourth I think and I think that we will need to get more than 76 points to do that. I think we're going to be looking at between 82 and 88 points. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't think 76 points will finish will allow us to finish second. But I think that you know finishing second, regardless of the points, yeah, would be pro- I completely would be agree. Yeah. 
Well, thank you very much for that, gentlemen. I'm absolutely always fascinated to know how people judge progress. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, okay, uh, we're in the middle of another pesky, horrible international break. Uh, it's as dull as a Phil Jones back pass. I hate it. But what it gives us is a lot of time to look forward to our next matches and try and, you know, look into the crystal ball and see what's what's to come. Um, for our rivals, I've got a table in front of me with the next five matches and um, Chelsea have got to play Man United at home and Tottenham away in the next five matches. Apart from that, they've got Burnley Palace and Everton. Hmm. Man City, uh, in the next five matches, they also have Tottenham away and Man United at home. They also play Burnley. Uh, but on top of that, they play Fulham and Southampton. Hmm. Are you following? Good. Arsenal. They have to play us, the mighty Liverpool. And apart from that, they have Leicester, Palace, Wolves and Bournemouth. So they could pick up a few points. Tottenham have West Ham, then City, then Wolves, Palace and Chelsea. So they have to play, you know, City and Chelsea out of the, out of the top five or six. Um, Darren. The mighty Liverpool of Jurgen Klopp. We've got Huddersfield away, Cardiff at home, Arsenal away, Fulham at home and Watford away. Is this 15 points? 15 easy points? Well, maybe not easy. Yeah, I don't see why not. Again, you know, with a, with a, with, we, we've not been, you know, we can't, we can't continue to be average you know, and uh, you know, and I think that uh, with the break, uh, although we won't have Milner, but you know, with uh, with a bit of a break, and, and again, you know, we we say break, but obviously all our players will be on international duty. You know, but um, I think that uh, it's a different uh, it's a different level of uh, performance that they'll they'll be putting in. Uh, they'll come back to the Premier League, and um, you know, we um, we will kick on. I think that. Uh, you know, if we can if we can pick up more wins and uh, maximum points, that I mean that's what's required, isn't it? That that's pro that would be progress. You know, playing playing teams at the bottom end of the league, uh, uh, towards the bottom end of the league, and 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 winning. You know, that would be progress for me. Not not playing City and drawing or City and winning, and then going to Swansea the week after and losing. You know, that's. That's what we did last season. I think uh, I seem to recall. And uh, you know, if we can uh, if we can pick up some points and 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 pick up maximum points, yeah, that'll be progress. Okay, I like it. I like your optimism, Joe. From those five fixtures: Huddersfield away, Cardiff at home, Arsenal away, Fulham at home, Watford away. What jumps out at you like a drunk praying mantis? Um, well, I think obviously the standout one is Arsenal away. However, I think that we we're going to be massively helped by the fact that we have a Huddersfield and Cardiff back to back before the Arsenal game. As I said earlier, you know you'd hope that in those two games the front three can can find their mojo again, and 
And if they if they can get a couple of goals in those two games, then they go into that Arsenal away match with a completely different mentality. Uh, I know in Wenger's last years we did very well at the Emirates, but it sort of remains Arsenal. You don't kind of know what you're going to get with Emery. You know, Emery out outfoxed Jurgen Klopp in the Europa League final, so there's obviously a an element of wanting to get a bit of revenge for that. But as you say, we've got to be looking for between 13 and 15 points from the next set of five games because that's what a team with aspirations yeah. to win the the championship would do. And I think that one of the things we need to factor in is that while, you know, if you substitute Fuller, well, Fulham for Swansea, so we beat Swansea at home last season, we beat the we beat Huddersfield away last season. Cardiff, you know West Brom at home, who we beat as well. So there, there's nine points just to be level on what we got last season. However, Arsenal away and Watford away last season were both disappointing three-three draws. I think you remember, um, especially Watford on the first day of the season, having battled back from two-one down to lead three-two and then draw the last kick of the game from a corner, same old typical Liverpool, and then Arsenal away, having dominated them for an hour, we had a complete mental collapse, and Simon Mignolet threw the ball into the goal, and we ended up scraping a 3-3 draw there, so we need to get, we need to be bettering what we did in those fixtures last season, and with the players that we've got, we should be able to. And what about, sticking with you Joe, what about Arsenal? I mean, Arsenal's form, Unai Emery, I think, is doing a terrific job there, uh, nine in a row. They've won nine in a row in all competitions. Although, if you look at the actual results, the teams they've played—they're only tiny teams, really. Vorskla, Brentford, Carabag, Everton. I don't know. What do you make of Arsenal? It's been a sort of a very Arsenal run, hasn't it? Is it? And that, yeah. you know, Arsenal—the first two games of the season they played City and Chelsea and lost. And then the rest of the games that they've played this season, they've won, but they've all been against the teams that Arsenal always do well against, traditionally. So I think that that's got to be factored in. I also think that, you know, I looked at Manchester City's fixtures um, for straight after the international break, and it seems like, and they've got Burnley at home and Fulham at home for what seems like the sixth time this season playing those two teams because... Now, every time you looked at who Manchester City were playing, bar Arsenal, on the first day of the season, you were thinking like, God, yeah, they've got Huddersfield, oh, they've got Cardiff, oh, and then now you're looking at it, and they've got, God, they've got Burnley at home, and then Fulham at home, you're just thinking like, come on, guys, they're gonna, they will eventually, obviously, have to play a few difficult teams, and they've got Tottenham away, who we've already played, and then United at home, but they've also got Southampton at home as well, so they're going to be picking up a lot of points, so we're going to have to keep keep on their coattails. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, and sticking with you, Joe, and sticking with Manchester City, um, I get the impression, I don't know, if Liverpool plays three bad teams, for example, Cardiff, Fulham, Huddersfield, um, there's a little bit less of a guarantee of nine points compared to City. Do you think that's fair? Um, yes, I do. But that's only built, that's only kind of because of this whole thing that we spoke about before of typical Liverpool or Achilles heel of turning up against the big teams and then not doing very well against the the smaller sides. So 
I think it is more of a guarantee just because with City's sort of very deep squad, you'd back them even if they were going in the 89th minute nil-nil to to still conjure up that one chance towards the end with the the amount of players that they've got. And you know, if you look at us last season, we drew with Burnley at home last season in what was a turgid, turgid afternoon. And I just I can't see Man City doing that kind of thing this season. So while we've got Cardiff at home and Fulham at home on paper with this with the new look Liverpool under Klopp you're saying yeah that's got to be six points and it should be six points I still think Manchester City are just a little bit more of a guarantee than we are in that sense and the only way that we can get rid of that tiny feeling of apprehension because it's not as big a feeling as it used to be a couple of years ago or under the likes of Rodgers uh, the only way we're going to get rid of that feeling of apprehension is by just swatting them aside and keep swatting them aside this season and then maybe next season we'll all be a bit more chilled out going into those kind of games. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, you look at the, uh, you know, when you look at the results, you know, on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday and, and you've got City who are playing Burnley or a Fulham or Southampton and, and you know, they're, 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 they're putting, you know, three, four goals past teams like that, you know, with, with, Apparent ease. I mean, I know there's the exceptions, and and you know there's a, a few games where they they won some last minute, uh, la, you know, scored some last minute goals to, to to win against you know the so-called lesser teams. But Liverpool just seem to make much more hard work of it, you know. And you know we're we're, we're losing, uh, sorry, we're winning two one or a one nil or a, you know maybe you know turning a a victory into a in, in, into a draw, you know. Uh, and and I think with City they just seem to be easing past these teams where we we just seem to have to work that much harder. You hear that? You hear that, listeners? Typical Liverpool fans, totally deluded, convinced that they're way better than everyone else. Of course, that's not true. That's bullshit. Yeah, I totally agree with Darren and Joe there. City are a really good team and uh, it's going to be absolutely difficult to overtake them. And uh, Chelsea too. We've got lots of competition in the Premier League this year. uh, And I think the winners will deserve it. Okay, let's go back for the final question. uh, Is about the man of the hour, Herr Klopp. And... My question is very simple. If you look around the world, take a moment to think about it, if you will. Look around the whole world of football at all of the different managers that there are in any league, in any country, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, wherever you like. Would you swap Jurgen Klopp for any other manager in world football? No. No, I wouldn't. He's, uh, you know, he's he's brought back a feel-good factor. I think he's good for the club. I think he's a good personality, and um, I enjoy the style of football that uh, we play under him. Brilliant answer. And what about you, Joe? Would you swap in for anyone? You could have anyone, anyone you like in world football. Bring back Hodgson. <laughs> That's uh, uh, obviously. Uh, oh yeah, forgot. Obviously, about that. yes. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I. I'm very happy to agree with Darren on this one. I don't think there's anyone that you can swap him for. He just gets the club. It just feels right, doesn't it? Whereas you see Mourinho at Manchester United, a big-name manager at a big-name club might not always be the perfect fit. We have managed to find a perfect fit, and I think that you have to doff your hat at 
to uh, Fenway Sports Group and their recruitment team and the team who run the club for for biding their time and actually convincing Jurgen Klopp to take over because we weren't the most attractive propositions when when he did come in. So well done to them and thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was excellent stuff. That was Joe Casanelli, who writes about football for The Times and ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe underscore in underscore España. And that was also Darren Wilde, who is also on Twitter, at Wild Darren. And Darren is lucky enough to be able to go fairly regularly to Anfield and watch our beloved Reds, Kloppo's Reds, in action. So sadly, yes, we're, we're coming to the end now. If you enjoy Cop On Podcast, please spread the word, tell your friends, make a banner, graffiti Cop On onto public administration buildings, get a Cop On tattoo, or follow us on Twitter at Cop On Podcast, or you could send us an email to coponpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks, very special thanks to our, our, our newest supporter on Patreon, Beef Wellington, who will now be entered into our special draw in which you too can win great prizes, including an official LFC shirt with all the trimmings. Uh, if you're interested, head over to patreon.com forward slash cop on podcast for details and support us for only $1 a month, which is cheaper than a Stefan Dennis record.